Well, hey guys, uh, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing a friend of mine, Peyton. Peyton uh, is, a, is an author of books, which I've only read one, although I should probably have told you I've read all of them. Uh, but this is his most recent one we have in the bookstore. It's free, or if you leave a donation, you can do that. So if you hear something you connect with, grab one. Um, but uh, Peyton, I don't know, like, are you going to introduce your like, story or anything? No. So Peyton's just like um, all about planting in hard places. And uh, he's been in Wales, and he's been in the LBC. And so um, he's rad. He loves Jesus. And I hope that you'll uh, give him some love as he comes and uh, teaches us from God's Word. Can I steal this? Is that okay? No, I'll stand down here, but I'll try not to break anything. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I have too much stuff, so I got to put stuff on on tables. So uh, good to be here with you. I have prayed for you guys, and you know, thought about you from afar. It's good to finally meet you. I uh, love Dale. Respect the crap out of Dale. Um, can you say that? Can I say that in a sense? Sorry, I'm I'm used to urban church planning, kind of like you. So uh, in inner city Long Beach. I haven't been there for a few years, but uh, we're doing church in the park right now on Sundays. And, you know, when people are getting bit by pit bulls and knife fights break out before church, and your members are getting baptized and months later shot in the back by police wrongfully, I mean, you're in the thick of it. And that's kind of Refuge Long Beach. And it's it's been great, but there's a great team uh, that's handling it now. But the the reason I bring all that up is... um, I know that, that Dale and his wife, they're here because they love you guys and they love this city. And I've tracked with him, got to know him in about 2015, maybe 14, and uh, just an honor to be here. So, uh, yeah, this is my favorite time right here when it's like this size and you all know each other. And, you know, one day you'll be... Uh, you know, they, they, you'll be bigger. I mean, that's going to happen. But all of you will tell stories. Remember that time that, you know, and it'll be like all the people that come and aren't even saved yet, but th- that are going to get saved here, they're going to be like, man, I wish I was there back then. You know, remember we're in that room in the school and like, you know, like we still talk about. Remember when our childcare was easy ups with the construction wrap around it and we had to have like bouncers like that went with people to the bathroom. Those were good times, right? Like that, that's, what we, that's what we talk about. It's weird. Like right now you're going, man, this, this part, you know, you all have the part of a church plant that's hard work and it sucks a little bit. It's always that because mission's costly. You, you can't be on mission and not have, like you guys are on mission and that's super cool. And there's just something about... Um, when you're on mission together, the presence of God is there in a unique way. As I always tell people, we always talk about where two or more are gathered, and we think it's here. And I always think where two or more are gathered on mission, he's especially there. So I tell people, if you really want to experience God, you get on mission, because God's out there. He's out there now on the streets 
of San Diego, meeting with people and ministering to people, prepping the way for you, coming alongside you when you're talking to them. And then after you're gone, he's still working in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, to me, that's, that's what this is. I don't see like a small church. I see the activity of God, the thin end of the wedge, breaking the ice of what God wants to do in San Diego. Pretty cool, huh? It's a cool perspective. Well, look, um, let's pray because uh, I need the Holy Spirit, and I think you know that by now, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, uh, first off, your word. Thank you for these words that are so much more than words. Lord, this is so medicine. This is, this is like that, that attaboy from the coach. Lord, this is words of life. That even at times, though they're hard and make people turn away, you turn to us and say, are you going to go too? And we say, no, Lord. Because you alone have the words of eternal life. That's why we're still here. Because our souls have heard something that has set us free. And Jesus, this morning we want to just come and submit to you. We want to just acknowledge that you're that amazing God that we sung about. That words fail us in, even, Lord. Sometimes our hearts know when we're singing those songs Our hearts know something that our words can't properly express. We get little glimpses of heaven. Little glimpses of when the veil will be taken away and we see clearly for the first time, we see each other. Lord, we see humanity. We see this world. We see you. But Lord, this morning as we look into Psalm 23, Lord, we want to sing the songs of freedom together. We want to chant our victory song in your presence and amongst each other, Lord, because that is the song we will take beyond these walls into the rest of the week. We pray, Lord, that we would sing victory the rest of the week because you have won victory for us. You went to the mat for us, and you overcame, Lord, our sin. You overcame my guilt. You overcame our shame. You overcame our judgment. Mercy triumphed over judgment at the cross. And Jesus, we want to sing that song of freedom that came as a result. So turn our eyes to Psalm 23. Bend our hearts and our minds and our wills to what you want to say to us this morning. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would just meet with you. Lord, just simply meet with us. We need you to be our shepherd this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, words are very, very powerful things. I don't know if you realize that. I gave you a pep talk when I got in here on church planning because I know how powerful words are. Have you ever gotten a pep talk and it just, you know, it was just somebody giving you the right words at the right time? Anybody here? Can you, can you think of an example? Can anyone kind of, has anyone ever said something that was so powerful it stuck with you? For the rest of your life. I have a buddy who's part of my training team, and uh, he believed he wasn't a good teacher. He's a church planner. And his whole, through our encouragement of him, he's one of the best trainers we have. 
he now believes he's a teacher because we fed into him what we saw in him. Has anybody ever had that? Somebody said something to you? Anybody? You want to share? This is participatory, by the way. If you read my first book, which Dale confessed to not having read, I believe it was the first book you didn't read or the second? I've read this one. Okay, all right. First one, I talk about interactive church. I love interactive church. Do you know that Jesus was interactive? Do you know that? He asked 308 questions in the scripture. Do you know that? 308. He was asked 187. You know how many answered directly? Three. So Jesus was really in. He was a rabbi. It's called rabbinical questioning. He asks you. So he interacts. Right? So come on now. Who's got an experience? Something that somebody said that stuck with you. Somebody said something, a word, and it changed you. You got it now, though, right? You totally got it now. A really good friend just gave me tough love on words that, you know, she could have easily gone on my side and just pumped me up of, yes, you're absolutely right, but she pointed me towards Jesus on, regardless of what's going on, um, loving my husband through it as opposed to loving me through Right. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that it was someone giving you words that maybe weren't easy to hear, but what you needed to hear and it changed your life. Right. And we've all got those scenarios. Um, we've all got those experiences. Shakespeare said that the pen is mightier than the sword. I don't know if you believe that whole wars have been fought over things people have said. And if you're paying attention right now, Words are doing a lot of damage in America. Words, just words, but they're so powerful for destruction or for transformation. Pen is mightier than the sword. Do you realize they did a study on Hitler's manifesto, Mein Kampf, My Struggle is what that was called. And they found out that for each word in that book, 500 people died. And that thing is about yay thick. That's the power of words. And in the book of Psalms, we have a psalm, and we're going to get into one in a minute here, classic, well-known, only six verses long, but a powerful six verses of words. Psalm, uh, psalm 23, don't get excited, you can turn there, but Psalm 119 is a psalm about the power of words. It's an acrostic of the alphabet. So A is for apple, B is for boy, C is for cat. The whole thing, each stanza in that psalm begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and goes through and gives tribute to what happens when God takes letters and arranges them into words. Because when God does that, it has a positive impact. It has the ability to change your life Forever. I, I felt like the sandlot just said, forever. It's just, mind is a playful monkey, the Chinese said. And I told my wife, I'm not going to do it this morning. I'm going to fight those thoughts the whole time. I want to read to you, uh, first off, Psalm 23. And I'm going to read it a couple times this morning. There's just six verses. And the most important thing that will happen this morning is you hearing those words, not mine. 
Amen? Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Wow. He res- When was the last time you had your soul restored? Love, like, I could just preach on that. Should we just preach on that? Just camp out there. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's amazing. I want to read to you guys um, just to give you perspective because sometimes we can be overly familiar with this psalm. We've heard it at every funeral we've been to. It's the most quoted, memorized text of the entire Bible. But I want to take it, um, so this is my book. This is not a shameless plug. I saw you out on the back table. But um, this is called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art. And I just try to envision what it would be like for somebody who doesn't know God. Because I wasn't raised in the church. I don't know about all you guys, but this is how life felt to me. And so I take a reverse Psalm 23. It's like the negative. You ever, back in the days, like the 70s, we saw like negatives of film, negative exposures, the opposite. This is like what Bizarro is to Superman. So at each point, I'm going to read a portion of the verse, and then I'm going to give you the, um, sorry, I suck at these things. Um, I get them wrong. They have a weird-shaped head and ear. So, um, the Lord is my shepherd, and this is going to be the response of someone who doesn't know God is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm on my own. Nobody cares for me, and nobody's looking out for me. When I fall, I have no one to pick me up. So imagine now, this is what you feel when you don't know God. I want for nothing, or I shall not want. I can't keep up with the competing voices clamoring for my attention, demanding to be satisfied. Nothing satisfies, no matter how much I spend or buy. I still always feel empty. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's never enough. I fear about tomorrow like there won't be enough for me or my kids. Eventually everything and everyone fails me. I never know the feeling of abundance and contentment. Besides still waters... I'm restless. I would lie down if I felt safe. The times in society keep rushing by me and I have no peace. He restores my soul. I don't believe in a soul. I'm a highly evolved animal. My animal instincts wear me out, as a matter of fact, and I feel like a slave to my passions as I indulge their every whim. I can never satisfy my animal appetites. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. I do whatever feels right at the time. But why then do I always eventually end up feeling bad? Nobody else can tell me what's right to do. It's my life. But sometimes I wish they would. And I'd follow if I knew they were right. But nobody seems to have the secret. 
we all are blindly groping along trying to find our own way. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. In life, crap happens. I just hope it doesn't happen to me. If it does, I'll probably have a nervous breakdown or need to get on a stronger antidepressants, but I can't think about that right now. I could sure use a drink. If you're with me. I like to think that when dark times come, my friends will stick by me, but they never have. I wouldn't stick by them either. It reminds me of my own mortality. Where's that drink? Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The only comfort I have is that I've tried my best, but mostly, I'm always angry. Life is unfair. Why did this happen to me? If there was a God, he must hate me, and I hate him for letting my life be like this. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'd like to tell my enemies how I feel before my time comes, give them a piece of my mind, or at least get them back. But I've never been able to tell my enemies off anyways. I've always felt paralyzed by fear. Even with nothing to lose, I'm still a coward. You anoint my head with oil. How's my hair? Better look good even if I don't feel good. I need to go to the gym and get one of those hot mom bods or look like the guy with the six-pack. At least people can still think I'm hot. At least there's that. My cup overflows. My cup is empty. My whole life has felt empty. My whole life, as a matter of fact, sometimes feels like a waste. Eat up and drink it down, because tomorrow we'll all be food for worms. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. My life's been a goat rodeo of pain and regret. Maybe checking out early will save some more of the same. I'd always just hope it might be better, so I keep going. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If God is there when I get to heaven, I'm going to flip him off, cuss him out, and do every, and for everything that's so jacked up in this world, and tell him that's why I don't believe in him. If he were real, he wouldn't, have me, he wouldn't play like a make-believe Santa Claus and nobody ever sees because he's up in his North Pole heaven checking to see who's naughty or nice. Like most children who grow up, I stopped believing in Santa long ago. It's his problem, not mine. But I want it to be real. It's a nice thought. I just wouldn't have let people suffer if I were God. If God were ever willing to get off his high horse and come down here for a few minutes, he'd know how hard we have it. If you were willing to suffer through what we do, he might act differently. That would be a God I could believe in. And of course, in response to that last bit, you know what the one word answer to that is. It's Jesus who did that very thing. Because guys, we don't have all the answers. Even this psalm says, one thing I know, it's a confident declaration of who God is. He is my shepherd. And I don't understand everything else, but I understand one thing. He's looking out for me. That's what Jesus is the answer to. If there was a God, he would come down here and he would know and maybe he'd take some of this suffering. And bam. It's exactly who he is. As we look at this psalm this morning, we look at the power, not only of words, but the power of the, experience, the words that come from experience. I want you guys to realize that this is David who was a shepherd. That was his occupation before he became a king. And he's looking back and he's going, I remember being a shepherd. You could do it yourself. You could be like, hey, the Lord is an auto mechanic or the Lord is whatever it is you do, you can apply it to, right? Certain occupations will not work, <laughs> granted. Jesus is a telemarketer. The Lord is my, no, 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 this doesn't. But David had this experience of caring for a sheep, and he applies it. He goes, you know what? I get 
how I'm just like those sheep and God is just like a shepherd. And what he does is he puts all the focus, notice this, not on what he does. There's nothing in here about what David does. It's all about who God is and how he cares for him and what the results of that, what the benefits. That's why I did the negative Right? I describe someone who doesn't know God as a shepherd, doesn't know his care and his love, and doesn't have all of the blessings that David experienced. You see, the language of the first few verses are things like, he makes me lie down. I praise God that he makes me do things I don't want to do. Hey, Peyton, knucklehead, workaholic, slow down, take something called a Sabbath. It's called rest. You'll like it if you try it. I want you to be restored. Oh, yeah, no, I'm serious about that, Peyton. It's like totally in the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. Your soul is more important than anything else. Oh, I didn't know that. You see, he makes me do things because it's good for me, right? The Lord, he says, he leads me, he guides me, he prepares for me, he anoints me. Like, wow. That's the God I have. It's all, this is like a selfish psalm. That's probably why we like it so much. Because it's like, it's like Spongebob, you know, a crowdy pad. Just taking all those blessings in. Just sucking them all in. And when you look at this, you see David, he, he's talking, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like, I don't have everything I want, but I got all I need. Somehow God has worked that out where I don't get to have everything I want in life. Thankfully. Wasn't Oscar Wilde said the only thing worse than not having what you want is actually getting it? See, but he's saying, I shall not want means I'll want for nothing, like that I need. He's my shepherd. The, the shepherd doesn't give the sheep everything he wants, thankfully. But he looks after him. And so as David is, is going through this, <clears throat> we see here that he goes on to say uh, all these benefits. He says, I will want nothing. He restores my soul. You comfort me. You prepare a table. My cup overflows. And then he looks at the end, the last uh, verse 5 and 6. He looks in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What he's doing is this. He's looking at how God has treated him, how God is treating him, and then he goes on to the future in verse 6 and says, I can pretty much bank on what the rest of my life is going to be like too because of who God is, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what I love about this, what's so real about this psalm, is it's not just Pollyanna pie in the sky. Because he, there's that middle part of the psalm. Like I said, six short verses. But there's that hard-hitting reality in verse 4, that even though, right? You have even those in your life, and so do I. Even though <laughs> it doesn't always feel like it. You see, as a, as a Christian, we walk this walk of faith, things that we can't see, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, but you're confident of. And I like in our generation to kind of say things we don't feel, 
but we know. Because your feelings aren't reality. I was a psych nurse. I dealt with people that hallucinated nonstop. They felt bugs crawling. There were no bugs there, right? Your feelings, your perceptions are not always fact. There are illusions. You can have a David Blaine, a street performer, perform an illusion, and you go, how is that possible? Because it's not real. He's tricking you. And life sometimes seems to bring things our way that are illusions of nobody cares for me, nobody's out for me, but David has walked with God long enough. He's been through enough of those hard times. He's been there and back, bought the t-shirt, been to the brink of hell, the brink of death, and come back and said, you know what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and here comes that declaration of faith that comes through experience. I've been there. I thought that. And I'm still standing. You got me through. And I'm still here. And he goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. I know that. You are with me. Your rod and your staff. Rod and staff, by the way, was not comfortable for the sheep. A couple of things that happened with the rod and staff. The, the, the rod was what you, uh, you, you took and you rolled it over the, the, the back of the sheep to look for ticks and parasites. Right? So as they would come into the gate, I, I have in my first book a whole section on shepherding and what it looked like back then. It's not pretty. I was a missionary in Wales for three years, I mean uh, 12 years, and sheep outnumber people 12 to 1. So I had a lot of experience with sheep. We'd be on a walk and there'd be like a sheep on his back going, you know, and we'd have to go get the farmer. And, you know, so I I didn't go into all that for you because it's kind of gross. There's a lot of gross things about sheep I'm not going to talk about. But as the sheep would come into the sheep pen, the, the rod, he would run it along the back of the wool and just look. Every time, and there'd be parasites and ticks, and he'd have to go over and and you can you can pick sheep up by the you pull them by their wool and you pick through, and the sheep hate it and they're trying to get away. You don't like people picking through their wool. There are those experiences in life. I was about to tell you a really gross story. I'm going to hold off. It's a great illustration about uh, sheep, but I know you got to go eat Father's Day lunch today. But the staff is when he's fighting off the enemies. And David knew that God had his best at heart. And I think that takes us a while to really trust God on that, right? Like, Jesus even said that sometimes people believe and then trial and persecution comes and then they've just, I can't, right? It's too much. It's overwhelming. But this confidence came from experience. I've been married 21 years, right? By now, like it used to be in the early days, like we have all these funny stories where like, a guy would come, I'd go to go get something, a guy would come up, we'd be in the beach in Hawaii, and some marine would come and sit down next to my wife and be like, hey, what's up? And I'd come back, and I'd, I, I, would, I would get so mad because I was threatened. You know, I'd come up. I remember this one guy, I'm like, beat it, like that. And he's like, okay, I was just talking. Get out of here. You know, like, I, that's how I get, right? And there was this one time, she was with my niece on a Ferris wheel, merry-go-round in Costa Mesa, and these five Italian guys come up, and they're Italian guys, you know? So that's like, you know, Italian guys. Like, that's like, that's not even fair. It's like an army of Brad Pitt's. They come up, 
and they're talking, you know, they're, uh, and I walk up and like, no fear, because I'm just like, you know, I walk up and I go, beat it to all five of them. They're like, whoa, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, like they were younger. They like had, you know, bodies of Greek Adonises. I was threatened. This is like 21 years on. Now I can laugh because now like some guy, hey, and I'm like, hey, well done, babe. That's, that was good, you know. Woo, you know, makes me feel good. She's mine. She's mine, you know. But 21 years of marriage, there's this confidence now in this relationship. I know my wife's not like, well, give me your number. Hey, you know, look, I got this Italian guy's number, you know, so if you don't be doing the dishes, I'm going to go give, you know, Italian boy a call. It doesn't happen. And I'm confident, like now it's not even a threat because our relationship has built up so much to where there's a trust. And see, David knew that even at times where he didn't like what the shepherd was doing, it was still okay. You see, the shepherd sometimes has to take the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. Through those places, like he doesn't go, all right, guys, listen, pep talk. Um, we're all going to go through that really dark spot. Are you okay with that? Are you good? You all right? Um, hey, in the back bar, I am you. Pay attention, please. No, you don't want to go there? All right, look, guys, how many, who, who wants to vote? How many want to go through the valley of the shadow of death? Okay, maybe next Tuesday. We'll talk about it again. If you feel better about it, that's not how it works. Shepherd's like, look, I see rain coming. It's dangerous here. We got to get over there to higher ground and we got to go through that valley and we got to get there fast. So I have to move you all through and the sheep don't want to go. How many of you have been in places in your life where you don't want to go? You're like, I don't know why you took me here, God. Tough stuff, right? Can you think of one right now? Anyone want to share? Place you went in life, you didn't want to go? I didn't want to go to Stanford. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to San Diego. That's for sure. You know, no, no joke now, today is the one year today marks the day where I took my mom off life support. One year ago today and sat there with her as she died on Father's Day. One year ago. Went through depression this year. Never known, was a psych nurse. Never known depression. Ever. Ever in my life can relate now. It's terrible. Hideous stuff. Don't want to go there. You know, we all got places we don't want to go. Even Jesus, when he's talking with Peter, he says to Peter, one day, Peter, people are going to bind your hands and they're going to lead you a place you don't want to go. That's Jesus. Now, understand the context of the conversation was a shepherding conversation. Do you remember the conversation? It was on the beach. It was after Jesus had risen again. It wasn't the first conversation that they had ever had, by the way, since he had risen from the dead. There's a conversation in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul talks about. He says he appeared first to Mary, then to Peter. I've seen that in the scripture. Nope, that was private. That one we don't get to hear about. This one happens after he appears to all the disciples and he says, I'll meet you on the beach. There they wait for him. He appears to him. This is a totally different conversation. I would imagine that conversation, it was like Jesus and Peter got like, hey, we're cool. We're cool. You and me, we're cool. But the conversation on the beach was when Jesus puts Peter back into ministry. He restores his call. Because I know at that point, Peter's like, I'm not any good to you anymore. Like, I'm glad we're good and you still love me and I still love you, but... 
I can't. I mean, the 12, I'm here, but I don't think I'm going on to those better things you talked about that we would do. I, I realize, Jesus, I'm kind of like not really the guy that you thought I was. I mean, you warned me I was going to deny you. I mean, no surprises. You did try to warn me. You told me about that valley of shadow of death coming, and I, I, I just didn't believe you. Peter was a fisherman. So why was Jesus talking to him in shepherding terms? Notice how he says, hey, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. That's what he says. He starts off, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. And he goes, do you really love me? You know, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And then he says, do you love me? And Peter, it says, gets hurt because he asked him a third time, why did, was Peter hurt? Because it was a reminder of the denial. Yes, him th three times he denied him, three times. This is a restoration, but it was a painful memory. And as he's doing that to him, he, um, I find this so interesting. When he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, um, it's, it's a shepherd. See, Jesus was the, the one, the shepherd who left the 99 to go after the one, to go after Peter. Right? Peter was that guy that... You know, he was just going to go back to fishing. You know, that, that's what he did. In fact, that's what they're doing. They're just fishing. He doesn't realize he's going to get to serve Jesus. And that's when Jesus just locks on and says, you. He goes, oh, and I love this. He goes, he says, you feed my sheep. You, you, you get the sheep. You now gather the sheep like I've done with you. You go get them. You tell them what I'm like. You see, Peter was a wandering sheep. That's why he's using shepherding terms. And Jesus went to grab him and pull him back. What I love about this is that Peter, uh, he's, he's not allowed just to continue wandering and straying anymore. You see, Jesus loved him enough to pursue him. And when he says to him, do you love me three times? Peter's response was finally like, he didn't even answer it like, yes, I, I love you. He goes, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Like, it's about you. It's about who you are, Lord. You, you know all things. Like, here I am trying to convince you I love you by answering and trying to sound sincere. And he realizes the secret here is a secret of this psalm, the same thing. It's not about me. I can serve you I can feed your sheep because I'm a wandering sheep. And what's important isn't that I'm a, a sheep or a wandering sheep. Like, we all know that what the ministry is, is telling people about the shepherd. Telling people who you are. Do you love me? He reminds them of the denial. Yeah, I'm a wandering sheep. I get it, Lord. You brought all this home again. Feed my sheep then. Tell them about the shepherd. And he gets back into ministry. You see, there's a surrender at the end of that conversation. The surrender is Peter's not trying to impress God anymore. See, I know who I am. David never here questions that he's a wandering sheep. David never questions who he is. It's not about him. Notice he doesn't say, Lord, I'm bad, and Lord, I don't listen to you, and Lord, I don't... 
It's all about who this incredible shepherd is. We know who we are. Have you ever heard the, the famous hymn, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? There, there are a few hymns that are special to me. This is one of them. Listen to this. As he says, he has that famous line in there, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We all know who we are. The question is, do we know who the shepherd is? Listen to what he says. He starts off, he says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Right? That's a song of freedom. Tune my heart like an instrument to sing your grace. That's who you are as a shepherd. It's not even talking about who I am. Then he goes on to say, Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And then he goes on to say, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. You see, Jesus is that shepherd who will come after you again and again and again. And it doesn't matter who you are. It's because he's the shepherd. He will come after you. Doesn't matter who you are. In fact, the guy who wrote that hymn, maybe you're blacking out right there and just, I've never heard that hymn. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. That hymn was written by a guy named Robert Robinson. He was a poet. He didn't write it as a hymn. He was a poet. And when he wrote that, he was in a good place. He knew Jesus as the one who sought him, wandering from the fold of God, but he wandered again down the line. In fact, one night he was in Paris and he was in a carriage with a Parisian socialite and he was making the moves on her in the back of the carriage. And she was trying to fend him off politely and she pulled out this book of poetry and she opened up and said, listen to this. You know, she kind of pushed him, I want to share something with you. And she opens it up and she reads those words. Let me just read them to you again. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And when she looks up, he's crying. And she's, what's the matter? Don't you like it? He says, like it, my dear woman, I wrote it. He said, but I am so far away from where I was when I penned those words that it's just hard to hear him. And she said, don't you see? You're talking about him. It's not you. She goes, you wrote right here. This is what she told him. Streams of mercy never ceasing. She goes, that means that his mercy is flowing tonight in the streets of Paris just as full and free tonight as they were for you back then. You just haven't been drinking from those streams. That's what Psalm 23 is. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. I don't want to. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead Leave the God I love. Here's my heart, he says. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. There's no argument about who we are, but because of who he is, there is always a way back. Guys, this is what I've learned over the years. Like the prodigal son. 
You ever read the prodigal son? He walks away for years, comes back. The father doesn't even wait for him to get all the way up to the house and make his speech. He cuts him off making his speech. The father sees him afar off, it says, and runs to him. That means you can walk a thousand steps away from God. And it's only one step back to God. That means right where you are, a thousand steps away, like that sheep, you turn around and guess what? The shepherd has been following you every step of the way. That's the surprise that the sheep has time and time again. That's what leads to this kind of confidence in this kind of shepherd. That's what leads to this kind of security. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm okay. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All I have to do is turn around and look, and he's there. He's been pursuing me. Like Peter, I get a special meeting with Jesus. I don't deserve it. I didn't ask for it, but it's there. He raises from the dead, and he appears to me. Right? Jesus didn't put his appointment down in the Franklin planner. He didn't say, hey, have your people call my people. He just surprised him with it. You see, that God is still that same God. I don't know if you've been wandering. He's been seeking you because of who he is. You see, if Jesus wasn't this shepherd that we're reading about in these passages, I wouldn't want to sing to him. If he was like Allah, the good you do is met with good in return, I wouldn't want to follow him. If he was like the God of so many religions, you get out of it what you put into it. You build up enough karma, karma will rain upon you. That ain't my shepherd. He's not yours. The shepherd we read about here says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's like the prodigal son coming back and the father saying, kill the fatted calf. Put the best robe on him. A robe of righteousness. Put it on him. Treat him like a king. He's home and he's mine and I love him. Or she's mine and I love her. Put my ring of authority on the finger. For this is my son who is dead. Do you guys understand the joy of the shepherd? The joy of the shepherd is embracing the sheep again. No matter how many times the sheep wanders. Amen? So... Let me just say to you, past, present, future, all these things that David rolled up into his picture of who God was, I want you to stand with me. I want you to, yeah, go ahead and stand. I told you it was interactive. I'm going to make you do stuff. God help me if I had to care for my soul. Notice how he says he, he leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He does all these things. God help me if, if Peyton Jones was the shepherd of his own soul, the captain of my own soul, the master of my own destiny. God help me. God help my family. God help my kids. God help everyone around me if that were true. But I'm not. He is. And I want you guys to take your uh, scripture here, and I want us this morning 
to talk in a declaration. This is a song, by the way. We're not going to sing it because I can't sing. You know, I told the Lord once, I want to sing real bad, and I got my wish, so I sing really bad. But Psalm 23, verse 1, let's just read it together. And when you read this right now, I want you to know this is for you. This is God for your soul. You can take your cell phone out if you don't have a Bible. It's cool. Maybe it's up there. It's not up there. But here we go. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why? Because it's about him. It's not about you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you've walked away from God this morning, I want to encourage you to just turn around and take that one step. If you've been walking around all your life, walking away, I want you to turn around this morning and to follow into his arms and to ask Jesus to come into your life. And the Bible says he will. Amen.